So in this series, we're going to take each of those virtues, and we're going to preach a few messages from each of those virtues, uh, faith, hope, and love. We're going to start today just in order. We're going to look at faith. And if you wanted to, to study the virtue of faith, you said, where, where would I begin? Where would I go into the Bible, uh, open it up, begin to study on the virtue of faith? If I wanted to learn more about faith, where would I go? And I would recommend you would go to Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, we call that the, the faith chapter of the Bible. And there's a reason why it's referred to, and as you read it, you can see why it's by faith, by faith, by faith, and just continues to go on throughout the chapter and give examples. So I referenced this verse earlier. Let's, let's focus on this one for our, our, our example of faith. And just this aspect of faith we're going to share with you here this morning. But without faith, it is impossible to please him or to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, if you read that verse, there's really three conclusions you can make or draw from that verse. And number one is this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Number two, faith requires us to believe in God, believe that he is. And number three, God rewards those who diligently seek him. So here's the mistake some people make concerning faith. They kind of keep it one-dimensional. Um, I believe that God is, and therefore that is faith. Um, that is an expression of faith, or it's a... Uh, it's something that's essential to faith, believing, but again, believing doesn't define what faith is. Faith is more than believing that God is. Faith is believing that God is, and then that, therefore that he is, we seek him. So to give that statement a little bit more validity, let's do this. Let's look at that verse, just kind of expand it out. What was, what was the writer of Hebrews speaking of? What's the example he's pointing out? What's the faith example he talks about? And here's the context of that. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he, being Enoch, pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So Enoch believed that God was and Enoch pursued God because he believed that God was, he followed after God. He diligently sought God by faith. So Enoch is not credited as a faith hero simply because he believed in God. He's considered a faith hero because he believed that God is, and he followed him. He served him diligently. And Enoch, if you know this, is one of two people recorded in God's word who, who did not suffer death. Enoch and the prophet Elijah are two people in God's word who never experienced death. So in the case of Elijah, remember God took Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind. Now, I know like some people like say, well, Elijah was taken into heaven by a chariot of fire, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, that it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of, of fire appeared with horses and separated the two of them, this being Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah went up to heaven, or up, went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So the chariot separates Elisha from Elijah because Elisha had been following Elijah. He didn't want him to go, but he knew it was time for him to go. God had called him home. So once the chariot separates the two prophets, a whirlwind receives Elijah, and he leaves this earth without experiencing death. So if you want to dig deeper, because some reason is like, why, do these two, why are there two people in God's word who, don't, who never suffer death? What's the purpose? Why would God do that? And you could, you could study this on your own. But to be honest with you, it's just a lot of theory. Um, one, one reason people believe <clears throat> that, that this happens 
is because God's going to bring those two back during the tribulation. They'll be the two witnesses who's preached because they've never suffered death. They'll be the ones who are martyred, if you read about that in Revelation. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, because to be frank with you, the Bible doesn't tell us. So we just kind of theorize about this. But Enoch is really an interesting uh, faith example. Uh, there's not much mentioned about him. In fact, when, when you read about Enoch's life, it's just one sentence. One sentence in the Old Testament that speaks about Enoch. Here it is. Here's Enoch's life in a nutshell. Genesis 5.24. He's listed in the, ge the genealogies. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's his life. He lived for X amount of years. He was the son of this person. He walked with God. He was not, for God took him. So Enoch walked with God, and because Enoch walked with God diligently, God spared him from experiencing death. And that's what the writer of Hebrews talks about in the New Testament. And there's plenty of people who walk with God. You and I know plenty of people who walk with God and walk with God diligently. So why, why is Enoch's faith example different? Why did he have different results than what we experienced? Why was Enoch's faith so different from ours? So like Enoch, we must do this. We must, must come to this place. I know this is very basic and simple, but we must believe that God is. And while that may seem elementary to us, it wasn't elementary for Enoch. I think what we do is when we read the Bible, we, again, we forget to keep kind of mind what's taking place in a timeline. Remember, Enoch lives at a time that is well before Moses. Uh, in fact, we, we think people like Enoch have an advantage over us. The reason why this person has such great faith is because the time that they lived, and that's exactly the opposite is true. Uh, they did not live in a superior time. Uh, I would argue that their time was less superior than our own. And I would argue that uh, we have more opportunity to express and build our faith than Enoch did. I'll give you an example why. Enoch didn't have a church to attend. There's no formal religion. There is no Christianity. There is no Judaism. There is no Bible. Uh, Enoch predates the law by 1,200 years. Uh, Enoch's faith was basically based on what he knew about God, and that is this, that God is. And so, therefore, if God is, then I'm going to follow after him. I'm going to seek him. Since there's no mention of any special revelation, we have to assume this, that Enoch encounters God like any person would encounter God. Uh, again, no note of this, and I think it would be noted if it was uh, God didn't reveal him in a special way to Enoch. God does do that throughout the Bible. But in most cases, like you and I, God gives us a, a general revelation of himself. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godless, godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And here's the, the kind of the focus of God's general revelation to all people. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, God, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been seen, excuse me, from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So God makes himself known through creation. That's, God's, that's an example of God's general revelation to all mankind. In the next chapter, Paul writes these words, kind of reaffirming that truth. In Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do the things 
uh, do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. Verse 15, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between them, themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So God has written his law, or what's right or wrong, upon the hearts of mankind. You say, well, I don't know if I really believe that or not. Well, listen, murder is wrong in all cultures. Because God has written that on our hearts. We understand that murder is incorrect. There's the sanctity of life. It's been written on our hearts. So Enoch is really just responding to the revelation of God that God makes available to all mankind. So Enoch responds by this way. I believe that God is, and then we either accept that or reject that, and that's what Enoch did. I, I accept that I believe that God is. And Enoch responded to God, believing that God is, which resulted in him seeking after God diligently. And Enoch gives us a pattern of exampling uh, diligent faith. God was pleased with Enoch's faith, and hopefully that's our desire. We want to please God with our faith. Remember this, we are saved by grace through faith. It's important. It's important to our salvation. It's important to our daily walk with God. And Enoch shows us times, uh, faith in times where it can be difficult to display or to live a, a diligent faith. Enoch in his own uh, did, did what the Bible communicates and encourages us to do in the New Testament in our faith in Christ. Remember, there is no instruction from God's word to do this. He just by nature seeking after God did this. And this is what Enoch was doing. James writes about this. In James 4, 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's simply all that Enoch did. That's the, the essence of his faith, that God is, and I'm going to get close to him. And if you get close to God, God's going to get close to you. God's not into cat and mouse. He's not into games. If you want to get close to God, you can get close to God. He welcomes that. At some point, Enoch draws so near to God that God draws or leads Enoch out of this world into his presence. Because Enoch doesn't suffer death. He just simply walks right out of this world. I mean, that's the only way to put it. Enoch's faith is an example to us. You know, in spite of the obstacles, he doesn't have a church. He doesn't have a Bible. He doesn't have a people there encouraging him. You can say, well, you know, he lived in a much better time than ours. I don't think so. And really, I'm going to help you put that into perspective. You know, we don't look at the circumstances and allow them to dictate our faith response. And that's what Enoch did. He didn't allow his environment, or his circumstances to keep him from drawing closer to God. See, God didn't show Enoch any special, special favor. Enoch showed God special favor. And that's really what, as, what faith is all about. I mean, God gives us all a measure of faith to respond to him. And when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And Enoch's faith was expressed, and it moved beyond just, I had it up here. I believe that God is. No, it went from here, and it was lived out. Enoch was not living in a time of great faith heroes, and in fact, the opposite is true. Because again, we may look at someone like Enoch and say, well, it was just easier back then to live for God. Enoch's time, remember this, people are increasingly becoming more and more godless. If you want to put it in perspective, Enoch has a son named Methuselah. Methuselah has a son named Lamech, and Lamech has a son named Noah. Now, if you know anything about that time of period, you know that God finds one person on the earth that is righteous, and that's Noah. That's the time frame we're talking about here. People were not getting, they were not more godly, they were getting more godless to the place where it was just Noah left. Noah was the only one that found favor in God's sight. 
So Enoch didn't have a Bible to read. He lives in a time of increasing wickedness. There is no one there to help him, encourage him. Uh, this is what the Bible says. No, he just has to walk by faith. He has to, God is there, and I'm going to follow God. I'm going to serve him diligently. So his faith example in those circumstances is an example to us. So Jesus has come in the flesh. As a result, we put our faith in Christ. We can experience new birth. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Something we take for granted every day. Something that Enoch never experienced. And yet he serves God with a diligent faith. You know, no matter where you're at, what you're going through, God is with you. If you're born again, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Enoch didn't have this advantage. It, was, it wasn't available to us. Only the blood of Jesus made that available to us. So Enoch didn't have any advantages, and yet he follows God with this diligent faith. And I wonder to what degree Enoch's faith played in the life of his great-grandson. Noah's his great-grandson. What role did Enoch's faith play in the life of Noah? You know, when God called Noah, he saw, again, mankind increasing in wickedness to the place where it was just Noah. I have to select Noah because Noah's the only righteous guy on earth that I could spare. So when God looked for a righteous person, he finds Enoch's great-grandson Noah. And I think it's safe to assume that Enoch's testimony probably played a, a huge role in the life of Noah. Again, to put it into perspective, you have Lamech, his father, Methuselah, his, great, his grandfather, Enoch would be his great-grandfather. Uh, if you do the genealogies and the math, Enoch walked with God. It wasn't more four years before Noah was born. I, can't you imagine, hey, what happened to our great-grandfather Enoch? Well, he walked with God and he was no more. What do you mean he walked with God and was no more? Well, he walked so closely with God, God just walked him right out of this world. And we have to assume that that played a huge role in the life of Noah. Because, again, when you get to this place where mankind is godless, God is going to destroy the earth, but he finds one person, one person who is righteous, and that person just happened to be the great-grandson of this man who walked so closely with God that he walked right out of this world and never suffered death. Now, I, can, I don't know what you call that, but I don't call that a coincidence. Think about this. How does your faith influence your children in an increasingly wicked world? How does your faith influence your children? How does your faith influence your grandchildren? How does your faith, for some of you, influence your great-grandchildren? Are you going to have this testimony that mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, great-grandma, great-grandpa, walked so closely with God? They had an amazing relationship with God. It didn't matter what happened. The world was just falling apart, but my, my folks walk with God. What's going to be your testimony? Today, we have more advantage, more of an advantage to follow God by faith. More of an advantage to draw closer to God than Enoch ever had. In fact, right now, the Spirit of God dwells in you if you're born again. Unfortunately, we tend to seek God more casually than we do diligently. Can we walk with God so closely that we can have a similar experience as Enoch? And honestly, I can't say that we can't. I can't say that we can't have that same experience. Now, some people will not experience death. And I, and I know that kind of goes counter to us, but imagine this. If the rapture happened right now, you wouldn't experience death. If you're ready and you're born again, you would go to be with him. You wouldn't experience death. So can we walk so closely with God that we could just walk out of this world? And I don't see why not. Again, I, there's nothing to argue against that. 
So imagine this. What keeps us in this world so dedicated to this world? What in this world keeps you and I so dedicated that we won't express the same kind of diligent faith as Enoch? And I want you to think about this. Does that require you become a hermit? You become a monk? You go live up on a mountain? And all you do is take a vow of silence? And you're just... No. So what in the world, in this world, is worth more than pursuing God? What in this world has a greater reward? Remember, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If the Holy Spirit examined your faith today, or if trials were allowed to test your faith, what would the outcome be? Would the outcome of those trials and that testing result in diligent faith, that you would be found favorable in God's sight, that he would find your faith diligent, or would he find a faith, a faith that is shaky at best? Church, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith is more than believing that he is. God rewards those who diligently seek him despite the obstacles. Why doesn't our faith compel us to seek God so diligently? Hebrews chapter 11 not only details the faith of Enoch and his example of faith, but there's many faith heroes that are, that are mentioned in that chapter. People who diligently sought God. Give you one, a couple examples. Hebrews 11:7. moving down to the next verse. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark, for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of, of the righteousness, of the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. So Noah being divinely warned of an impending flood, a flood that would destroy humanity. Now, the only way to escape the flood was to build the ship. And again, to put it in perspective, Noah's not a shipbuilder. He's a preacher, according to 2 Peter 5, chapter 5. He's a preacher of righteousness. What business does he have building boats? It would be like me. Go out and build a boat. Well, I can build it. I don't know that it's going to float. I don't know that it's going to be watertight. So Noah builds the ship according to God's instructions, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. It's not really a cruise ship, but it's still a big boat. Can you imagine the mocking Noah endured? Here's this preacher out there building a huge boat. He says it's going to flood, and it's going to flood that it's going to destroy everybody. Can you believe the mocking that he had, that he endured? And yet his faith stayed diligent throughout that time of testing. No one's on his side. Remember this, he's the only righteous person. It doesn't even say that his family, his, his wife and his kids are righteous. He finds favor. God spares the others because they belong to him. I mean, you talk about a man on an island by himself, and yet he has this tenacity in his faith. God's called me to build the ship. Day after day, year after year, he's building this boat, saying that a flood is going to come. Yet no one is saved by his preaching other than his own family. Noah's faith moved him to action. We can see that he has a diligent faith, a faith that continues on. Not a faith that is all over the place, wishy-washy, shaky, no. A diligent faith. Think of the diligent faith that is displayed in the, the next few verses by Abraham. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. 
By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham, if you'll remember the story, is born in Ur. And Ur is a city in the Fertile Crescent, the land between two rivers. And he lives in southern Mesopotamia. At some point in time, him and his family, his father, leaves that place. They go to Terah, which is in northern Mesopotamia. And when God calls Abraham, Abraham is living in that place, in his father's household. He's the first named son, so therefore he's probably the firstborn son. And if he's the firstborn son, he is heir of his father's wealth. Just to put this in perspective even more, what Abraham walks away from to follow God. Abraham, believe it or not, isn't a believer. Joshua talks about the history of the Jewish people before they go into the promised land. Joshua 24.2, recalling the story. Abraham's people were not monotheistic. They were polytheistic. So here's what Joshua said. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, remember this is, Joshua relaying this. This is what God's saying. So God can't lie. Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Now Abraham, when he's with his father Terah, is living under his household of his father. His father is the authority. You follow the gods of your father. That would be the trend. That would be... What's taking place. So when God calls Abraham at 75 years of age, he's no spring chicken. He calls Abraham out from a place where he was with his family, where he would have an inheritance, and he goes, hey, I'm going to make you a great people. I'm going to give you a land that's, that's yours. You're gonna, you have no children now at age 75, but you will. You'll be a great nation. Now, who in their right mind would leave their situation with their family to serve a God that they've never heard of and they don't know? He has to leave everything that he's ever known and go to a place, a God, place that God has promised him. And by the way, do you know this? The only ground that he ended up buying was that, that place where he buried his wife. He never owned a scrap of ground the whole entire time he lived. He lived by faith. We're going to inherit a city that has nothing to do with this earth. He had his eyes on a city that he would one day inherit. His eyes were on heaven. So Abraham wasn't a spring chicken when God called him, but how does he respond? With the same type of diligent faith as Enoch. See, God doesn't call us just to believe in him. That's where it all starts. But that isn't the sum total of our faith journey. Believing that God is, is the easy part. It's the easiest part, but it's the first step. God invites us then to pursue him by faith, because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, I gave all my money to to charity. I, I came to church every night, you know, whatever. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. There's nothing wrong with giving, serving, all that. But you know what? It comes down to this. Faith has to be central to this. How do we discern God's plan for our lives? Just like these people. And what caused them to, to move so closely to God? How do we draw closer to God so that he will show us his plans and purposes? And that's the answer. You draw closer to God. There's nothing really scientific about it. There's really nothing difficult about it. It's diligently seeking after God. And I would say this. If you've served God for more than a year, if you've been born again for more than a year, then your faith should have moved beyond belief. 
And you should be at a place where you are seeking God and following him. If not, then church, you need to seek God. And you need to make a commitment to God yourself right here and now that I'm going to seek him diligently. See, Christianity is not about coming to God by faith and accepting Jesus as Savior. That's not the end of the deal. That's where you start. See, Romans 1.17 says this, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written. Please look at these words, because it's echoed four or five times in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. It's not the just shall express faith once and then they're saved and that's it. No, the just shall live by faith. See, some of us have expressed our faith through believing. And that's great. That's where we start. But are you pursuing God by faith? Do you live by faith because the just, those who have been made right by the blood of Jesus, will live by faith? We got saved, we come to church, but do we know what God has called us to do? Most, mostly because we don't know because we've never really sought God's plans and purposes for our lives. Most of us, to be honest, here's what we'll do. Pastor, I sought God. I sought God for a week. I sought God for a month. Some of you might be more advanced. I sought God for a year. I, I don't think you understand what the Bible says, though. The just shall live by faith. Continuously. Diligently. It's not that I'm going to have seasons. No, we diligently seek God. The just, if you made right, and if you've been made right, the just shall live by faith. Enoch walked with God diligently until God took him out of his life. Why did he do that? Because he came to embody these principles in his life. He lived out these principles in his life. James 4, 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If we fail to diligently seek God, because we, we, we do so because we fail to draw closer to God. See, there are, no, there are no hindrances. There's nothing that can keep you from following God. Enoch is proof. Enoch has no idea who God is, except for that he understands there is a God. I need to seek him, follow him. He has no church. He has no Bible. He has no one to encourage him to serve God, yet he seeks God diligently. Church, what are you diligently seeking? What are you drawing near to? Look at your life. Look at how you spend your time. Where you place your effort. Are you drawing closer to Netflix? Or are you drawing closer to God? You know, your reward will be in what you seek. Diligent faith isn't believing that God is. Diligent faith is a continuing and seeking after God. Pursuing him. Pursue him until you find him. You say, Pastor, I've been chasing after God. I can't find him. I can't get him. Then you keep on moving until you do. You may move so far that you come to this place that you move right out, out of this life. I can't think of a better way than going or leaving or transport. I don't know how this happens, but I'm just telling you, I can't think of a better way of leaving this life than following God. If you're feeling conviction or you're feeling a little challenged, don't run from it. Don't ignore it. Don't say, well, this is just condemnation. No. God is trying to, to, to move on a few of you. He's trying to move in your heart. He's trying to get you closer to him. He won't force you. He won't make you. See, God has this wonderful plan for each and every one of us. Every one of us. No one here is here by mistake. No one is an accident. God has a plan for you, but you have to diligently seek God. I would say this, that some people even try to diligently seek God's plans, but you can't even do that. You have to seek God first. Once you diligently seek God first, then those plans and purposes will be revealed to you. Some of us are making that mistake. 
I don't know what God's called me to do. I believe in him, but I want to skip over here to what he wants me to do. Go back to seek him diligently. Those plans will be made clear to you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Every person here, I believe with all my heart. I'm living proof. I don't know if you would consider this a wonderful plan, being a pastor, but if you knew me before I was called and before I ever preached the sermon, I can't do what I do on my own. I am not a gifted speaker. I don't even like being in front of people. But this is what I love doing because this is what God's called me to do as well. It's like a love-hate relationship. So my point is this. If I had my way, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. But I wouldn't change it for anything because this is what God's called me to do. If I would try to do anything else, I would not have the peace and the contentment that God has given me. So I'm just saying this. How did that happen? Well, I can tell you this, that by faith, I just pursued God. And when I found out God called me into ministry, I pursued him even more. Because this is what I wanted. God, I want to get close to you so that I know that I'm not called. That I know that I'm hearing by mistake. Or what I feel, what I sense, what I see, what's happening in my life is just a bunch of circumstances. It's not you orchestrating these things. I got closer to God so that I wouldn't be called to ministry. God is love. Remember, he won't manipulate you. He won't coerce you. He won't force you to follow him. He simply wants you to follow him by faith, to trust him. I'm not saying it's wrong to pursue a career or to pursue a spouse or anything like that, but I am saying this. If those are the things that are the most important to you, then that's going to be where your reward is. And that reward is temporal. If you believe God is, but you aren't pursuing him, you'll find it difficult to discern his plans for you. Whatever you pursue more than God is where you'll find that reward. Just look at the example in God's word. God doesn't call us to do this. God doesn't call us to, okay, give, believe in me and then partner with me and I'll make your life better. That's not what God calls us. That's not what diligent faith is all about. Diligent faith is about this. I need to surrender my life to him because I must be born. I'm a, I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved. I need to be redeemed. It's not, I don't, the life that I'm living is going to take me to the wrong place, the wrong direction. But if I give my life to Christ, then I'll be redeemed. It's his. See, God rewards those who diligently seek him and seek his plans for their lives. So what are you seeking? Who are you seeking? At the end of the day, what fuels our pursuit is our desire. Look at the case of Adam and Eve. Let's go back to the first people. Let's go back to the very first sinners. Adam and Eve wanted to eat the fruit from the forbidden tree. Why? Because they thought it was good. It looked good because they wanted to be like God. They wanted to be like God. That was their desire. So what did they do? They pursued their desire. When do, where does it end up? Not in a good place. They find out this. They are not like God. This looked better on the outside than when I actually have hold of it. This is not good. They thought eating the fruit would make them like God, but sadly they discovered this, that their desire they pursued produced results that was far less than desirable. God rewards those who diligently seek him. So it comes to desire. What do you desire? How do you change your desire? How do you, how do you change, for example, if you want to eat healthy, how do you, how do you, but you like to eat junk, how do you change your desires? You stop eating junk and you start eating healthy. That's really what it comes down to. If you want ice cream, if you want chocolate, if you want junk food, if, if your idea of, of healthy as brown and fried, then you know what? It's difficult to get to green, right? 
But understand this, no one's going to be able to lay hands on you, wave a magic wand, and change your desires. You have to change your desires. So apply that now to your life of faith. If you want to draw closer to God, you have to change your desires. Because if you're not seeking God, there's a reason why. The reason is your desires. And don't feel guilty about that. Don't, don't condemn yourself. Just own up to it and say, you know what? Proof is in the pudding. I don't desire God. I don't follow him. But I need to and I want to. And then you start doing it. So I'm going to encourage you. Pursue God. Draw near to him. He will draw near to you. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him.